Did you know your risk of dying is exponentially higher if you're isolated? In fact, lack of social connectedness is as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. On neuroimaging, isolation and loneliness light up the exact same part of the brain as chronic pain. So let's get connected for better health and longer life. You're listening to Healthy Looks Great on You, a lifestyle medicine podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vicki Petz-Casper. This is episode 105, The Deadly Epidemic of Loneliness. Each week, I've been laying the foundation of the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. We've discussed sleep, stress management, avoiding harmful substances, and physical fitness. Today, you're going to learn why positive social connections are so important and how profoundly they affect not only your mental health, but your physical health. Loneliness is considered a chronic disease, and furthermore, it's lethal. You are three to ten times more likely to die if you're lonely. Your life depends on social connectedness. Social isolation and loneliness are associated with type 2 diabetes, depression and anxiety, addiction, suicide and self-harm, and earlier death. Reportedly, social isolation increases your risk of dementia by 50%. It increases your risk of heart disease by 29% and stroke by 32%. Loneliness and isolation also impact sleep, inflammation, and the immune system. It's also linked to pain. Social isolation and rejection look like chronic pain on neuroimaging. That same part of the brain lights up with loneliness and isolation, the same as it does with chronic pain. It's reported that more than one in three adults feel lonely. Wait, let me update that statistic. That was prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now that number approaches 50%, and I believe it. Before we're done today, I'll let you know how this extreme extrovert survived being alone in 2020. But I think it's obvious that loneliness is increasing throughout the United States. Remember that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If you didn't know the answer to the question, you had three options. You could choose 50-50, then Regis would eliminate all but two of the answers. Or you could choose to ask the audience. But my favorite was phone a friend, where you could call someone personally for help. Unfortunately, as many of a quarter of Americans have no one to call. That's right, 25% of people report having no close friends. Zero. Zilch. We really need to change that. Keep listening, and I'll share some tips because it's literally a matter of life and death. People who have positive relationships live longer, have less cognitive decline and dementia, have a better prognosis if they do have a chronic disease, and are even more resistant to infectious diseases. So when we say, I get by with a little help from my friends, that's an understatement. A leading cardiologist says that loneliness is 10 times more deadly than heart disease. Connection and community predict heart disease more accurately than smoking or lipids. You go to the doctor and they ask if you smoke, they draw your blood, and they measure your lipid level, but does anyone ever ask you about connection and community? That's where lifestyle medicine is so important. 
Wow, it's too bad there's not a specialist to treat isolation. You know, a lonelyologist or maybe a friendologist. That would be cool. But seriously, so many people experience isolation and loneliness. And neither is good for your health, either physically or mentally. One third of people report that they only have significant contact with another human being once a week. That's like breathing twice a minute or your heart beating 10 times a minute. We need each other to survive and thrive. And you know what? We need to be needed. And maybe that's part of the problem. We're all so fiercely independent. We never ask each other for help. And relationships require vulnerability and trust. In 2014, I was diagnosed with a debilitating neuromuscular disease. I couldn't do anything. And I had to ask for help. A lot. I think the words I said more than anything else were, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I am so grateful that I had a network of people who supported me and did all kinds of crazy things for me. But trust is the foundation of any relationship. And if you've ever been disappointed or worse, betrayed, then that foundation is cracked, sometimes beyond repair. But haven't we all been disappointed in a relationship? And let me tell you, the answer is not to put up walls around your heart and keep anyone who might hurt you out. Yes, relationships are risky, but not as risky as being alone. We all need someone to share our highs and lows with. But here's the deal. Quality is way more important than quantity. It's your closest friends who will be there for you when you need them. And you know, you can be surrounded by a crowd of people and still feel lonely. We all want to be loved and needed. It's imperative that we prioritize this aspect of our health because loneliness makes you more likely to get sick and die early. And it leads to poor lifestyle choices too. Before we look at its solutions, let's go to mini medical school and examine the physiologic effects of loneliness. Last week on the podcast, we talked about dopamine and its role in addiction. Wasn't that fascinating? Well, get this. Chronic isolation affects dopamine levels as potently as cocaine. And like I said before, lack of social connectedness is as detrimental to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. But dopamine isn't the only neurochemical affected by relationships. This is going to sound cheesy, but you probably expect nothing less from me. Oxytocin is considered the hormone of love. And what's love got to do, got to do with it? Turns out, everything. Let's explore this hormone some more because boy, do I ever love me some oxytocin. I'll tell you why in a minute. Oxytocin is a hormone that is produced in the part of the brain called the hypothalamus. It's released by the posterior pituitary gland. If you listen to my podcast episode on stress management, this should start to sound familiar. And if you've missed some classes, it's time to catch up if you're gunning to graduate with honors. Oxytocin also acts as a neurotransmitter in the brain, affecting the activity of other neurotransmitters. It gets all up in dopamine and serotonin's business. But it's a good thing because it increases trust, which remember we said is the foundation of all relationships. It also increases empathy and generosity. Now you see why it's called the love hormone. Another reason it's called that is because it's released during bonding activities like hugging, kissing, and sex. There was a nurse I used to work with who was like an oxytocin fairy. 
Every time I saw her, she hugged me. And not just me, it's her thing. She hugs everyone. And I don't mean a little side hug. I mean an embrace that makes you feel good the rest of the day. And now you know why. Those hugs released oxytocin straight into the bloodstream. Actions as simple as shaking someone's hand or giving a high five release oxytocin into your bloodstream. And that sets off a cascade of feel-good neurotransmitters, lowering your cortisol levels and thereby lowering stress. Social interactions also stimulate dopaminergic and opioidinergic reward processes. Those increased dopamine levels give us a little high and kill pain by releasing endorphins. That's a good way to get high with a little help from your friends. There are other times oxytocin is important. It causes uterine contractions during labor and childbirth. Ah, now you know why this hormone has a special place in my heart. Countless times as an obstetrician, I wrote an order for Pitocin. It's the synthetic form of oxytocin and it helps augment labor when it stalls out. It also helps release breast milk in women and mobilizes sperm in men. That love hormone really gets around. It can increase the ability to process fear and anxiety in the emotional part of the brain. Remember, that's the amygdala. Again, this should sound familiar if you're doing your homework. The prefrontal cortex region of the brain is also affected. That's the rational part of the brain where we make decisions. You know, when you think about it, love and pain go hand in hand. If you're a mom, you know exactly what I mean. Childbirth is excruciatingly painful, but a woman forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. That's a verse from the book of John, and it's so true. The love a mother has for a child is one of the strongest bonds there is, and oxytocin is part of the process before it even begins. We're created for connection. It's been part of our DNA since the very beginning. It's not good for man to be alone. I hope after listening today, you'll decide to intentionally pursue meaningful relationships. Don't worry, I'm going to tell you how you can get started adding to and deepening relationships. Relationships have a sizable impact on health. People with meaningful relationships are more likely to be mentally and physically healthy, partly because they make better choices. They cope with stress better, they're more likely to sleep well and exercise, and they don't numb and distract with harmful and addictive substances. This epidemic of loneliness increased the rates of substance abuse substantially. Last week, we talked about the value of support groups when overcoming addictions. So what do I mean when I say meaningful connections? Social connectedness has three essential components structure, function, and quality. You need at least two of the three. Structure refers to the number and variety of relationships you have, as well as the frequency you interact with those people. Function is the degree that a relationship meets a need, and quality measures the positive and negative aspects of your relationships or interactions. When you lack these, loneliness occurs. So cultivate your relationships. Remember when we discussed stress management and I mentioned gardening as a way to relieve stress, but I said it wasn't stress relieving for me because I just put something in the ground and walk away. Then the leaves turn all brown and it shrivels up because I didn't tend what I planted. Well, guess what? 
Relationships are the same way. They require attentiveness, time, and nurturing. Maybe it would help you to make a list of people you enjoy being around or people you share a common interest with. Then beside those names, brainstorm ways you can nurture those relationships. You've got to be intentional. Now, if we're going to talk about being social, we're going to have to talk about social media. We'll get to that. But while we're in the classroom, let's take a look at what U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy has to say about isolation. In May of 2023, he declared war on the loneliness epidemic. Reminds me of 1971 when Richard Nixon declared war on drugs. Want my opinion? Only you have the power to put yourself out there and get connected. But Dr. Murthy's national strategy to advance social connection is interesting, and it underscores how vital connectedness is to our individual and population health. The statistics he reports are alarming. He says one in two adults experience loneliness. Personally, I think there's a difference between experiencing loneliness and being lonely. Maybe that's just my own experience, but he acknowledged that things have only gotten worse since the COVID-19 pandemic cut us off from our friends, loved ones, and support systems. And while I've got you captive to my opinion, I think we may have missed out on some real opportunities during the pandemic, but that's another story. Here's a quote from Dr. Murthy. Loneliness. I think of it as a great masquerader. It can look like different things. Some people, they become withdrawn. Others become irritable and angry. I think the time you get concerned is when you start experiencing a feeling of loneliness for prolonged periods of time. And if you feel lonely, pick up the phone and call a friend and then it goes away or you get in the car and go see a family member. That's okay. That's loneliness acting like hunger or thirst a signal that our body sends us when we need something for survival. It's when it persists that it becomes harmful. That's a great quote. Yeah, but okay, what if you don't have a friend or a family member who can fill that empty spot? We've already established that's a problem. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about how to make friends. In true government fashion, he proposed, get this, six pillars to improve connectedness. And, of course, we all love a list anyway, so let's go through it. Number one, increase connections through volunteer organizations or religious groups. So let me ask you a question. Do you attend church? Not only do you attend, but are you plugged in? What about volunteering? Let's make it personal. How do you help others? These are great places to get started in your quest to connect. Number two is invest in local communities and social infrastructure so access is equitable. Sounds great. Not sure how that looks in real life, but it's an admirable goal. Number three is educate healthcare providers about the physical and mental benefits of social connection. Yeah, we doctors could certainly use more awareness about the impacts of loneliness and isolation on physical health. But while they're busy trying to get all their appointments seen in a day and all the urgent cases worked in, how about I educate you? Isn't that why you're here anyway? Again, this is where lifestyle medicine fits in. Number four, critically evaluate our relationship with technology and reform digital environments. I told you we were going to discuss social media. How timely that the social media giants have been in front of the Senate this week facing families whose loved ones have literally died as a consequence of their time on screen. Reform is long overdue. 
but I'm not sure anyone in those hearings fully understands the issues or has the answers. They're way behind, but it is needed. Number five is robust research is needed to understand the impact of connectedness and how to correct the disconnect. And six, build a culture of connection in which Americans cultivate kindness, respect, service, and commitment to one another. That sounds nice. Dr. Murthy also said, given the profound consequences of loneliness and isolation, we have an opportunity and an obligation to make the same investments in addressing social connection that we have made in addressing tobacco use, obesity, and the addiction crisis. Now, I'd like to talk about kindness a little more. And specifically, I want to introduce you to a concept called micro moments of connection. It's a great place to start spreading a little love in the world, making those oxytocin levels go up. Micro moments are brief but authentic encounters that make a lasting impact. They have a positive impact on both parties. For example, if the checker at the grocery store told you something they were really excited about and you got excited for them, then both of you would get a little rush from it. And maybe later in the day, you'd even tell someone at home about it and keep it going. Of course, most of us, either by choice or by force, whiz through the self-checkout instead. And we don't get any positive emotional response from the voice that says, Weigh your bananas. Place your bananas in the bag. Good grief. No wonder we're all starving for connection, right? The other day I had lunch with a couple of friends I hadn't seen in a while. When the waitress came to the table, one of them told her her skin was beautiful. And the lady just lit up and she grinned from ear to ear and told us all about this new product she had tried the night before. When I took time to notice something besides the menu, her skin really was glowing. I want to be more like that, aware of others, less self-absorbed, and take advantage of those micro moments that benefit us all. Sometimes it just feels like the world's getting more hateful. You may not be able to control that, but you can choose to be kind and forgive. Forgiveness is essential in relationships. And trust me, I know how hard that is. I wrote a whole book on it. I'll put a link in the show notes. You've been patient now. Let's talk about social media. Is it good or bad? The answer is yes. There are benefits and harms depending on how you engage. And that's the key word, engage. If social media is used as a replacement for in-person relationships, then it's probably bad. You've seen families or friend groups in a restaurant, and instead of talking to each other, they're all just staring at their screens. Remember, we talked about access when we talked about addiction. Well, we all have 24-7 access to our phones, and constantly taking a hit from it can interfere with real relationships. Also, if you spend all your time scrolling, you might not get up off the couch long enough to go exercise, cook a healthy meal, or get a good night's sleep. In other words, social media can impact all six pillars of lifestyle medicine. Nutritional eating, physical fitness, stress management, social connections, restorative sleep, and avoiding harmful substances. But it can supplement your real relationships and help with loneliness if you interact with people in a way that enhances positivity. The problem is, social media uses algorithms. The sole purpose is to keep you online as long as possible. These algorithms understand what you want more of, and they deliver. I hope you've seen the documentary, 
your social dilemma. It's pretty eye-opening, and it might just make you delete your social media apps off your phone. One thing that's important to understand is the bias that gets reinforced. In other words, if you believe a certain way, the algorithm will show you posts that agree with you. The longer time you spend in the rabbit hole, the more polarized you become, and you think anyone who feels differently is off their rocker. Think that's going to affect your relationships? Yeah, online and in real life. But here's the reality. Social media is everywhere and used by nearly everyone. Facebook is the most used platform. In fact, 4.6 billion people use social media. And that's almost half the world's population. And sometimes it riles you up and feeds your negative emotions. Social media and internet use can be classified as addictive behaviors. Problematic social media use, or PSMU, affects 44% of young adults, at least. And it's associated with poor sleep, depression, anxiety, and low self-esteem. Want to know what else scrolling through fake book, as my friend calls it, can do? It can make you jealous of the curated lives of others. And guess what chronic envy does? It activates the dorsal anterior singular cortex, which affects, you guessed it, dopamine levels. So be content with what you have, no matter the circumstances. All that understood, I want to tell you about some people I consider dear friends, and I met them online. Well, heck, I met my husband online, but that's another story. I have myasthenia gravis. It's an autoimmune disorder that causes profound muscle weakness. For a couple of years, I could do little more than sit in a recliner with my laptop. Social media was a lifeline for me. Well, actually, scripture was my lifeline, but social media kept me sane. Myasthenia gravis is a rare disease, and it's also just weird. It can make you feel like you're going crazy, and even the doctors thought I was crazy before the diagnosis was confirmed. But I got involved in online support groups for people with myasthenia gravis, and I found my tribe. We became friends, though our lives were totally different. I remember one guy in particular, whom I've never met, but he was a marathon runner. And I was an avid road cyclist before I got sick, and seeing him get back into running even a little bit was an inspiration, and it gave me hope. Eventually, I was able to meet some of the people in person at the national conferences. I treasure those relationships to this day. And if you've ever seen a little story about me brushing my teeth in someone's backseat, well, that's where it came from. The key to meaningful social media relationships is when something common, either a diagnosis, a belief, or an experience, brings total strangers to a safe place where they can share their struggles in a vulnerable way. The power of group cannot be overappreciated, whether in person or online. So where do you make friends? Well, I just moved to a new town, and everywhere I go, I tell people, I'm new here, and I've made some friends that way, in the neighborhood, at the gym, at church, and at a woman's event. So whether you're new or not, start by just showing up. Community groups or common interest groups like Bible study and master gardeners are a great place to start. Look online. You might want to join dance lessons or a pickleball group. Also, it's a good idea to volunteer. Lots of organizations need people who can help out. Hospitals, charities, and food pantries in particular. Walk the dog or just walk for that matter. But people are more likely to talk to you if you have a friendly dog. Go to the park or a community pool. 
and talk with other parents. These are great places to make friends, but how do you make friends? Well, I'm an extrovert, so I'll walk up to a total stranger and invite them to dinner. But I get that you may not be that way. In fact, you may have social anxiety, which can be paralyzing to even think about that you might be humiliated or rejected. And social anxiety has to be dealt with. That's beyond the scope of this episode, but the stress management techniques discussed a couple of weeks ago do help. Put yourself out there and be available. If you get an offer to go on an outing, say yes, if at all possible. If not, don't just say no. That comes across as if you don't want to go and you probably won't get another invite. If you have a conflict and you can't go, say something like, well, I can't tonight, but I'd love to next week. Even better say, I can't tonight, but next Monday at six would work great. That lets somebody know that you really do want to participate. My nephew is an introvert, and he told me one time that people like me depend on people like you to invite us. Okay, but I still want you to act like you want to come with me. Also, be reliable. Don't bail at the last minute, and don't be chronically late. It may just be the way you are, but the message it sends is that your time together isn't a priority. Also, beware anyone who says, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but... That's a huge red flag that anything you share might not be held in confidence. And remember, trust is the foundation for relationships. I'm going to share a link in the show notes to a book by Jenny Allen called Find Your People. It's really written more for extroverts, but it might help you if you're an introvert too. Intimacy is a necessary part of relationships too. Vulnerability or letting others see your flaws doesn't drive them away. It actually endears people. I'll put a link to Brene Brown's book in the show notes too. She's an expert when it comes to vulnerability. But don't always be needy. True friendships should be a give and take. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. You've probably heard this saying, do life together. And be a good listener. Sometimes you have to practice good listening and even study it. I'm a pretty good listener, but sometimes I don't look like I'm listening and that's a problem. Interpretation is everything, so I'm working on that. And don't one-up people, but also don't give up on people. Let's be honest, it isn't easy to make friends as an adult. Friendships take time, and you might actually fail and need to move on, but don't stop trying. Tap into neighbors, your church, family, old friends, mutual friends. The main thing is be intentional about making connections. Want to know how I survived the isolation of the pandemic? I was intentional. I planned Zoom parties with my friends who live far and near. And I hosted patio parties, complete with lawn chairs six feet apart and individually packaged snack packs. I even moved my dining room chairs, tablecloths, and china out to the patio for Thanksgiving. And it was one of our more memorable holidays. Social connectedness is the degree to which people have and perceive a desired number, quality, and diversity of relationships that create a sense of belonging and being cared for, valued and supportive. Good friends are lifesavers. You need them, they make you healthy, and they give you a safety net when life takes a left turn. And listen, there are always unexpected bumps in the road, and some of them are very serious. They'll also help you celebrate when things go well. Without people in your life, you're actually more at risk for poor health than if you're obese, smoke, or have high blood pressure. 
At Northwestern University in Chicago, a team of scientists at the Cognitive Neurology and Alzheimer's Disease Center found something very important that people over the age of 80 who are sharp as a tack have. Close friends. It's never too late to start new friendships or reconnect with old friends, and it's worth the investment for your health. While we're talking about being intentional, I'd love for you to sign up to receive these podcast episodes by email. As a bonus, you'll get a free mini course called 7-Day Prescription for Change. It'll help you identify something about lifestyle medicine that you want to change and give you the tools to make that change. Also, while we're talking about needs, I'd love to have you review the podcast on Amazon. That helps me get the word out. Thanks, friends. The single most predictor of happiness and longevity is social connectedness. So reach out, cultivate relationships, nurture friendships, because you're more likely to live longer, maintain your mental sharpness, be happier and healthier. And healthy looks great on you. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not considered to be a substitute for medical advice. You should continue to follow up with your physician or healthcare provider and take medications as prescribed. Though the information in this podcast is evidence-based, new research may develop and recommendations may change.